Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good to see you all again. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Genesis 6, 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Genesis that we've been journeying through these last couple weeks and the gift of worship and prayer. And we know that you hear us when we pray. And then now, God, I pray as we open your word that um, you would speak to us, that uh, you would use uh, my preparation, my work this week just to present the message that every single person uh, online and in person, they, they need to hear today. God, I pray that uh, your word would bring encouragement, uh, conviction where it's needed, and God, that you just help us become more like Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, you can take a seat. Uh, a few years ago, my family went to some live music at this really nice park, and it was, it was a beautiful day. And we, we walked around through the, the gardens and saw the different flowers and the trees. And it was a really beautiful park. And we knew that some live music, some kids' music was starting in a little bit. So we got there early and we we're walking around uh, these beautiful gardens. And then kind of as the day progressed, you saw a few clouds kind of roll in. But it seemed like, okay, this is still going to be a beautiful day. And that time we only had two kids, just Josh and Becca, and uh, they were pretty little at that time. I believe Josh was maybe around the age of four. Rebecca was right around the age of two, maybe just under two. And this musician starts playing some, some kids' music, and it was fun, and we're jamming out. And, and as we're listening to these kind of silly kids' songs, didn't really notice the clouds had become darker and darker and darker. And then what seemed like out of nowhere this rainstorm just kind of started dumping water on us. And very quickly, you know, uh, we were all drenched. And so all of us parents start grabbing our kids and running to our vehicles, which was a pretty far distance away because of kind of where the kids' concert was. And so Kristen grabbed Josh by the hand, and she's running to the car. And I just remember picking up little Rebecca at that time. Again, maybe she was under the age of two, wasn't quite two yet. And, and, and trying to just hold her as tightly as possible to me as she's just shivering and, and a little scared as this, this rain is just pelting us and just came out of nowhere. And I just remember holding her little body as she rested her head against my chest and just telling her like, daddy's here, daddy's here, daddy's here. As she kind of just went into this like uh, really inward state and, and rushing her to the car, and then, you know, we got to safety and, and was able to uh, get the kids dried off. 
But I remember thinking about that, like how often in life we don't notice the clouds getting darker. And then next thing we know, the storm just kind of comes out of nowhere and upsets our plans and we weren't planning on this. And, and we're scared, we're confused, we feel like little Rebecca in that moment of just maybe wanting to uh, turn inwards and, and quiet up and, and we're scared. But I remember as I held Rebecca, right, God gave me this little insight that he's saying, hey, we were in the middle of a season of just kind of a, of a storm in our own life. And he was saying, hey, the same way that you held your daughter and said, Daddy's here, Daddy's here, Daddy's here. That God wraps us up in his arms and says, your daddy's here, your daddy's here, your daddy's here. And today we're going to look at a storm that kind of came out of nowhere and, and what happens when that happens. But truly what I want you to know is that God's got your back and that even in the midst of a storm, that you can feel his arms and his breath on your cheek as he's saying, your father's here, your father's here, your father's here. How about you? Have you ever had any unexpected plot twists in your story? Things you didn't see coming, storms that came out of nowhere. Maybe an unexpected job loss or a break in a relationship or the death of a loved one. Or have you ever felt like God was asking you to take a big step of faith and then when you came time to do that, you were like, is this really God or is it last night's pizza that whispered me to take this chance and you're not sure? Well, today we're going to see that we're not the only ones. Or sometimes God asks us to take a big step of faith, but also that we have these storms that come out of nowhere. But we're going to see, uh, we're going to dive into a pretty well-known story. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard this story, but there's a, a major plot twist as he's asked to take this big leap of faith. So we are in this series called New Beginnings, as we are going back to the book of Genesis and learning kind of the start of our story, and then what we can learn about that in where we are today. And so in your own life, perhaps you are in a season where God's going to be calling you into some kind of new beginning. Uh, maybe it's stepping out in faith in something that's a little different. Uh, maybe it's in a relationship, a friendship. Uh, maybe it, it's, you know, starting a new ministry or inviting someone to do, you know, a discipleship with you or to be discipled by someone else. Perhaps there's a season that you're finding yourself in right now where maybe God's been stirring something in your heart in this fall of, of some kind of new beginning in your own life. But also as a church, I believe God is leading us into some new beginnings. And, and what is this next chapter going to look like for us as a church? Every Wednesday morning, uh, there's a group of us who gather at our ministry center for a time of prayer. And, and, and we gather together, and, and it's, it's so good getting together for prayer. And that happens just after our men's Bible study at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday mornings. And, and as we were praying this last Wednesday... Uh, it was a really great time. We had actually, the most people we've ever had for Wednesday morning prayer was there this, this last week. And, and uh, some, someone was praying just, you know, God, help us just not to feel like we're on this hamster wheel. Where we're in the season right now where we're praying for a, uh, a permanent building, just kind of what's next. And it can be so easy just to feel like, you know, week after week, it's just kind of the same. 
And, and, and I really felt like God was stirring something in, in my mind as we pray about that. And it was like, just, hey, just look back. And I, I, I am doing a new thing in you. And I have been doing a new thing. And, and it just made me think of, wow, where were we as a church a year ago? A year ago, I was at a place where I was like, man, do we keep going as a church? Do we not? Uh, I'm not sure. And then we had people rally around and say, yes, we are still in this together. And I think about a year ago, we didn't have that Wednesday morning prayer time. And that's been birthed in the last year. And then I thought about the men's Bible study that happened in that space, where there's about seven, eight of us guys who get together at 6.30 in the morning, and we're all like, why did we do this? This is so early. But then when we're there, like, okay, this is good. We're diving into the book of Romans. We're encouraging each other. And I think a year ago, we didn't have that men's Bible study. And then I think about on Saturday mornings, how we have our women's Bible study, about a dozen women who are diving into the book of Romans together and encouraging each other. And a year ago, we didn't have that women's Bible study in fact, we didn't even have that ministry center to meet in a year ago. That that door hadn't opened up for us to have that space just a couple blocks away from here. And wow, what a blessing that has been. That, that since March, we've had this space where now we can have prayer gatherings and men's Bible study and women's Bible study. And now we have a Wednesday night community group that meets there. And in fact, Ethan is the only one out of those 12, 13 adults in that Wednesday night community group who were here 12 months ago. Ethan's wife, Madeline, wasn't even here a year ago at church. And Ryan, who leads that group on Wednesday nights, I think about that just a year ago, Ryan wasn't here a year ago. It's hard to believe Ryan's only been here since March as a part of our church. We didn't even have a youth ministry a year ago, or a youth pastor, or a place for our youth group to meet. And so I think it's good to look back and see all the ways that God has been faithful and what he's been doing in us and starting these new beginnings in us, because that can give us then optimism for the future. See, the problem is Satan has a better imagination and is a better storyteller than most of us Christians, amen? And so what Satan wants us to do is to get scared about the future and think of all the things that could go wrong. Instead, I believe God wants us to look back at scripture, at our own lives, and see all the ways he's been faithful and good, and that he will accomplish what he's called us to. Amen? And so today, as we look back, the hope and goal of that, as we dive into God's word, as we look at his promises, as we think back even to our own lives and the lives of our church, what has God been faithful in? And to give us confidence and hope that God is going to continue to be faithful moving forward. Amen? And so we've been in this story of the book of Genesis. In week one, we learned that we have been created on purpose, for purpose, that we believe every single life is sacred and valuable and has worth because it's created in the image of God. And then we learned that God pursues us. Even when we mess up and even when we fail, even when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God is going to find them, that God still pursues us even in our mess. And then we've learned that we are created in the image of a creative God, created to be visionaries to seek the good of our city and our community, and how can we be a blessing? How can we use the creative abilities that God has given us to start new things, to start businesses and ministries, to employ people, to, to bless those around us, to seek to the good? And we saw how, you know, uh, Jubal and, and Jabel and, and how they invented new ways of art and culture and, and business 
And, and that's a reflection of our creative God. In the same way, we've been asked to reflect our creative, unique God. And you may not feel creative, but you are created in the image of a creative God. And so you're created to do unique, beautiful, wonderful, wonderful things in your business, in your neighborhoods. So that's kind of where we've been. And now uh, our story is now going to jump about 1,600 years uh, from this time of kind of Cain and Abel. And we see that the Bible likes to do theology by telling a story. And so these are what's called the narrative passages. And just because uh, everything in there, uh, some things are descriptive, not prescriptive, but we can look at what does the Bible tell us what theology does it teach us through story that then we can kind of cross-reference that with other parts of Scripture? And today we're going to dive into this story that's, that's more than just a cute uh, story about animals for a Sunday school class of four-year-olds. I think it's easy to lose the details in Noah's story because we think we know the story and it's so familiar. But what I want us to keep at the forefront of our mind is that it's the center of the story is God's deliverance of Noah. That's the important thing is that in the middle of a storm, in the middle of destruction and unknown circumstances, God is faithful and God delivers Noah. And see, sometimes God directs us into a storm so he can rescue us. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down, that sometimes when we're in the middle of a storm and we feel the uncertainty and the waves crashing down, we can think, oh no, have I drifted out of God's will But sometimes God allows us to go into a storm or he even directs us into a storm so that then he can rescue us. He can be our rescuer so that we learn to rely on him and not just on ourselves. So today I want you to know God's got your back. That God is there, whatever you're going through, that God's got your back. So what we see as that passage we read is that the earth is becoming exceedingly wicked. Over those 1,600 years or so, uh, humanity has gotten worse and worse. Uh, here's how Moses, who most likely wrote this down after he led the people out of slavery and bondage, he wrote Genesis. He says that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention, only evil. Like, this is bad. Like, humanity, culture has become a very awful place, and, and it says that God is grieved. Now, we would assume that God is a righteous judge, his response to this wickedness and people murdering each other and doing terrible things would be anger, right? That's that's probably more our response is anger of how, how could they do this? But we see that his heart is saddened. It's more like, like, like a parent who's saddened by their child's actions. That's the same way that God's heart is grieved. But then in verse eight, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What does that mean, that Noah found favor? That's the word favor there is the Hebrew word chahen. So you can have a nice kind of throat little thing if you want to say that word. Chahen, that means grace. So what it means here is that Noah found grace. This is the first time in the Hebrew Bible that they're going to use that word for grace. And to truly understand, it'd be better actually to kind of switch that sentence order to say that grace found Noah. That grace found Noah. See, never is there anything in ourselves that there's a basis for God showing grace to us, that we can earn it. I don't deserve it, we sing. Because then it wouldn't be grace. If we could earn it, it's not grace. And if that seems unfair, well, that's not the way that God works. 
God doesn't give everyone equal gifts or capacities or lengths of life. God didn't decide to make every human life equal and fair. See, the priority in God's mind is not fairness, but it's how we serve God, how we serve others with the length of life that we have, with the talents, the ability, the wealth, all the things that we've been given, that God isn't concerned about everyone being the same across the board in fairness. He's saying, what are you going to do with the grace and the gifts that I've given you? Chapter 6, verse 9, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the order here is really important. First, God shows grace. God shows favor to Noah. Then he's found righteous and blameless and walking with God. God always extends his grace first to us, and then in response to that, we can walk in righteousness and and blameless. Righteousness means vindicated by God, and righteous means whole, sound, healthful. It's a life of shalom, of peace. And so God appears to Noah and says, hey, I want you to build this giant boat, and you're going to take these animals in, and I'm going to restart this whole creation project with you and your family. I'm going to bring a flood to destroy all life. Verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. Now, this is the first time we're seeing that word covenant. Now, covenant is a huge theme in the Bible and particularly in the Old Testament. If you don't understand covenant, the whole Old Testament is not going to make sense. We have creation then curse, which explains the mess that we find the world we're in, and then we have covenant. So that's the big arc of the Old Testament scripture. Creation, curse, covenant. And covenant is God's way of overcoming curse. See, we have messed up creation with curse, but God is restoring his purposes through covenants. And I want you in your community groups this week to talk about some of the other different covenants. This is the, what's called the Noahic Covenant, and there's some, uh, quite a few other ones in the Old Testament, and, and I want you guys to discuss those. But a covenant, it's a solemn commitment that one person or group of persons makes to another person or groups of person. It's, it, it's saying, hey, I am covenanting, I'm entering into this relationship with you, and, and I am promising not to break these promises. So here at Mosaic, we've talked, we don't have members, we have partners, and what that means is that we are invite people to partner with us to do what God is calling us to do as a church. And what that means is that then you choose to covenant with the pastors, the leadership of Mosaic. And it's more than just saying, hey, this is the church I attend. It's saying, I'm going to covenant with you. As pastors, as leaders, me, Pastor Ryan, our governing team, Ryan Holland, Josh Olson, Matthew Anderson, we are covenanting to you guys that we promise to teach the scriptures and take that responsibility seriously. We covenant to steward finances well, to pray for you by name, to be there for you, to be your pastors, your shepherds, your leaders. It's a serious responsibility that we are covenanting to you at a next level from just an attender that when you are a partner. So that, that, that's from our end. And then as a partner, you are covenanting with us to say, hey, we promise 
to do our best in whatever way it looks like to love God. And here's some ways we kind of think that is, to serve others and to make disciples. And so it's a more in-depth relationship than just a simple friendship or even just promises. So so there's, there's some weight and depth to covenant relationships. You shouldn't enter into a covenant relationship lightly. When you get married, that is a covenant relationship. You're forsaking all others for this spouse. So you want, you want to enter that very seriously. And so now God is saying, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, Noah. Verse 17, he says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. All right, now here's the beauty of covenant, is that God often will then enter into covenant with you, and then that will extend to your family. And what we see is that God shows us grace, not just for our own sake, but also for the sake of other people. See, I think about this, how Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life abundantly. See, Jesus comes not just to bring peace, but peace abundantly. Not just hope, but hope abundantly. So what, what does that mean? See, if Jesus says, hey, I came to bring life, we'd, I think most of us would be like, sweet. I'm destined for hell and death. I need Jesus' life. But what does it mean that Jesus says, I've come to bring it abundantly? What does that mean? That means overflowing. What does that mean? It's not just for us. It means life that spills out abundantly over us for the benefit of those around us. It means peace that's not just enough just for us. It's abundant that it spills out over us and splashes on to the people around us. It's same with hope and generosity and the whole, all the ways of Jesus. Have you ever seen like a painter who maybe, you know, isn't just, uh, you know, doing, you know, very sticking to the canvas, but they got the creative process and paint is spraying all over the place and, and you know, and, and the floors and, and, and the walls are covered in paint because they're doing their creative processes. They're doing some kind of beautiful work of art. That is the image I want you to have of grace and love and peace and hope and blessing that God brings is that, yes, it gets onto the canvas of our lives, but it spills out to everyone around us. And, and, and we're, we're infecting them, not just with our germs, but we're infecting them with God's grace and love and hope, and it just spills out over us. See, nowhere in Genesis does it say that Noah's wife or kids were blameless or righteous or found favor with God. Now, we can debate some of the theology here, But the truth is that they were saved because of the grace and favor that was poured out upon Noah. And because of that grace and favor that was poured out on Noah, Noah's wife, his three sons, and their wives were saved. So we think of Noah, this godly guy, but in this time, he wouldn't have been considered this righteous, blameless man. They would have thought of him more as just a weirdo, right? Up until this time, we believe it had never rained on the earth. And here's Noah building a giant boat in the middle of, you know, a desert, a wilderness area, 
miles and miles from any ocean or lake or anything. And it's like, Noah, what you doing, man? He's like, I'm building a boat. And they're like, why are you building a boat here? You know, his neighbors are probably thinking, this is the kind of guy who wears his underwear on the outside of his pants, right? This is the kind of guy whose oars are not in the water. Like, he's not all there. And so the neighbors are kind of making fun of him. But he trusted God. He said, God asked me to do this. I know God's got my back, so I'm going to obey him. In 1 Peter, it says that Noah was a preacher. That he's preaching God's favor and grace and hope to those around him. Who's his church he's preaching to? Well, about seven people, and they all have the same last name. That's his church. Every week, he's faithfully preaching about God to the same seven people. And it's like, you know, week by week, it's like, did we get any new connection cards this week? And it's like, nope, no, no. Same seven people again and again and again. And depending on how you kind of do your math, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly how long it took to build the ark. But it was at the minimum 20 years, um, up to perhaps 80 to 100 years, but I think a good estimate is at least 20. So for at least 20 years, Noah, you know, uh, six days a week, he's out building his ark, he's building his boat, and then, you know, he's coming together and he's preaching. He, he, he's sharing about God, and no one is, is coming. They're laughing at him. But Noah's continuing to be faithful. He's preaching about grace for t- at least 20 years, swinging a hammer, he's preaching, he's walking with God, he's saying, okay, I believe that God's got my back. And then Genesis 7 tells us that when the time was right, rain began to fall. And then it fall, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Genesis 7, verse 15. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was, uh, was the breath of life, all the animals. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. So Noah goes in with his wife, his three sons, his three daughter-in-laws, two of each kind of animal, and then God shuts the door as the rain starts to fall. And I want you to put yourself in Noah's shoes, this giant boat filled with animals, and God shuts the door. And now it's dark, and there's no electricity, there's no lights, when you put yourself in that situation, stand there in the boat with Noah and his family. Hear the thunder and the pounding rain as it hits on the boat. Noah's going to spend about a year, just under a year, on that boat. A year of darkness and uncertainty. About 40 days of rain, 150 days of flooding, another 150 days for the water to subside. So you're looking at uh, 340 days, just under a year. And all that time... Noah's got to have some doubts, some questions, but he knows God's got his back. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. God remembered Noah. Now, this isn't implying that God forgot about him, but that he is mindful of him in such a way as to take action. And God's wind... The Hebrew word here is ruha. That's his spirit, his breath. The same word that hovered over the waters of creation in Genesis 1. That same spirit goes out over the waters and the waters begin to subside. And then Noah and his family, 150 days of waiting for the waters to come down. Here's a principle I think that's good for us to remember. You want to write this down, is that destruction comes quickly 
But restoration and healing can take time. It takes time to heal. It took 40 days for the, for the earth to be flooded. But then in roughly, you know, in about 300 days before all the waters came down, in our own lives, I think that's so true too, that, you know, in a relationship, so quickly destruction can happen. Someone says something to you, maybe you snap back, and that destruction can happen in an instant. You know, someone breaks into your store and, and you feel violated, and, and that destruction happens in an instant, but the time it takes for you to trust or to heal from that trauma takes a while. And that's something good for us to remember, that God is faithful, but sometimes it's going to take some time for healing to come. So Noah's on this boat. He's waiting for God, but man, does he want to get off that boat. Now, most guys don't want to ever get off their boats, but he's been on this boat for about a year with stinky, smelly animals and his wife and his daughter-in-laws and his sons. He's got that funky animal smell on him, and he's like, get me off this boat. So finally, the waters subside, and they're able to come onto dry land. And here's his first response, chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. That after his deliverance, Noah's first response is to worship. What a beautiful picture for us as well. That when we go through these moments of destruction and hardship and uncertainties, our first response should be to worship, to give back to God glory and praise and blessing. Ryan said it so well up here earlier that when things are good, it can be hard to pray. And when things are hard, it can be easier to pray. Sometimes we can be in the midst of that storm, in the middle of that darkness and uncertainty, and we're praying, God, deliver me. God, please save me. Then he does, and then we move on with life, right? That's so easy. But what does Noah teach us? Our first response is to worship. Say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I'm still here. Thank you, God, that my marriage is still together. Thank you, God, that I still have these friendships, these relationships. Thank you, God, that it's not too late. I have breath in my lungs for another day. We can look back at all the ways God's been faithful through us, leading us through this, and our response should be worship. Sometimes God directs us into the storm so that he can rescue us. See, every good story, every good script has conflict. Otherwise, it's not a story that anyone wants to read or watch. But God is faithful to rescue us. See, was Noah a blessing to his wife and sons? Yes. That's what it means to be a patriarch. God takes a nobody like Noah, gives them grace, and then blesses them, and then their family is blessed through them. According to statistics, about 60% of Christians are women. And I'm so thankful for all the Christian women. And it seems like in particular, Christian women are so good at, at praying and, and loving and serving. But that means only 40% of Christians are, are men. We want to see men get found by God and experience grace so they can walk with God. Amen? See, tonight, roughly, 40% of kids will go to bed tonight without a dad. That's not okay. We need men to step up and be patriarchs, amen? See, I want the men in this church to be like Noah. I want to hear stories of, hey, my family was a wreck, but God got a hold of my granddaddy. 
That's you, and now my family has been changed and we're building momentum in the kingdom of God. I want men in this church to walk forward in the grace of God. Whether or not anyone follows you, like Noah, 20 years preaching, who is converts? Three sons, three daughter-in-laws. There's so much contingent on you walking with God. Noah's wife and sons and daughter-in-laws were saved because Noah walked with God. Get this into our hearts that we need a movement of men in particular that God grabs a hold of and transforms you into patriarchs. So what's interesting is you can go through life, things are going good, and then bam, this storm comes out of nowhere. Maybe you're having the best year ever in your business, sales are great, but then you realize the economy is turned upside down, they're gonna do some layoffs, and you're the last one hired, and now maybe you're gonna be the first one fired, or you don't know how you're gonna make payroll with all your employees. It could be your marriage has been better than ever before, then one of you goes to the doctor and you find out some unpleasant news. And it's like, bam, the storm comes out of nowhere. You could be thinking, hey, your kid's doing great. You've been praying for him. You think they're making progress. Then you find out something that they've been hiding. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. Anything else. Because you realize how much your kids are drifting or struggling. See, I think people at church can be really good at hiding the storms they're in. Some of us, I think we can look fine on the outside, but behind their smiles, we're in the middle of a storm and maybe nobody knows it. And so you, you put on a smile and you say, hey, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. A little audience participation. How many of you would say that you or someone close to you would be in the middle of a storm right now? Raise your hand. Yeah, look around. It's most of us. It's either us or someone that we know it's in the middle of some kind of storm. But I want to show you two things as we wrap up here today, specifically to remember and embrace when you're in that storm. Number one, that God is with you in the storm. God didn't abandon Noah in that storm. There's a beautiful story in the New Testament where Jesus is doing some ministry. He sends his disciples. He says, hey, we're going to take this boat to the other side of the land. Jesus is super tired. I love it. Jesus is great at taking naps. He falls asleep on the boat. He's sleeping. The storm comes out of nowhere. The disciples are freaked out. They're scared. They say, Jesus, don't you care about us? They wake him up. He speaks, be calm, be still. Storm calms. But see, Jesus was still with them in that boat, in the middle of a storm. Here's what happens so often, I think, is that I think, well, wait a minute. If Jesus is with me, then I shouldn't be in that storm. I gave my life to Christ. It should be smooth sailing for the rest of my life. Maybe we don't say that out loud, but I think we think that often. But I can tell you that's not true. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promised him that if you come to him and give your life to him, life will, that will, life will be easy and that you'll be storm-free. In fact, it's the opposite. When you move from darkness to light, suddenly you step into the middle of a spiritual battle. You see, Christianity is not a playground, it's a battleground and between forces of darkness and forces of light. And when you step onto the side of the force of light, suddenly darkness is against you in a new way. You're facing opposition. You're facing temptation. There's going to be spiritual warfare. And so we think, well, but if Jesus is with me, then I shouldn't be in any kind of storm. Nothing should go be wrong. That's a distortion of the message of the gospel. We are in a battle. We have an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy from us. He does not want us to have life abundantly. But we know it doesn't matter what he throws at us, that Jesus is with us, that he's got our back, amen? See, God promises, he never promised that just because Jesus is with you on the boat, the storm will never rock you. He promises that the storm will never sink you. 
See, you may be rocked in the storm. You may be like, what is going on? You may be uncertain. But you can know that Jesus is going to be with you and he's not going to let you sink. He's going to be there because God's got your back. And so let's never take for granted the presence of God. Never let the presence of a storm let you doubt the presence of God. I read somewhere that people live longer if they have at least something in their house that's alive. So it could be a roommate, a spouse, a houseplant, a cute dog, a big ugly dog, a gerbil. Something that's alive lets you live longer just by simply not being the only living thing in your place. And see, when we're in the middle of the storm, people are going to ask, how can you be calm? How can you have peace? Uh, How can you have this quiet confidence that that you know things are going to be okay? You can say, because I know I'm not alone. That Jesus is with me in that storm. I can sense his strength. I can sense his presence. I can sense his power that God's got my back. And so, yes, the storm's going to rock you, but it's not going to sink you. He's on that boat with you. God's got your back. The second thing I want us to remember is that God is with us, but we now also are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says it this way, now you, you all are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. What does that mean? We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. That means we get to bring Christ with us to those who are in a storm and say, hey, you are not alone. This week, uh, we've been praying for Buck. Uh, If you don't know who Buck is, uh, uh, Buck's daughter used to go to our church um, and uh, his son-in-law, Keith, uh, about two years ago, uh, Keith had a horrible work accident. Um, I I did Keith's funeral. Uh, I had to show up and tell his three boys uh, that their dad had passed away. It was awful. It was hard. Uh, But got to say, hey, your dad has passed away. Your mom's out of the picture because she abandoned you. But you're going to go live with your grandpa, Buck. Buck Buck had cancer and then just passed away this past week. Uh, So then on Wednesday, showed up to tell these boys their grandpa had passed. And even though they knew it was coming, it was still tough. And uh, he prayed with them, talked to them. But you know, as I walked out, uh, I'm just going to be super real and transparent. I was just like, man, that sucks. Because how often do you tell someone uh, twice that their primary care- caregiver has died? And uh, again, just, I want to be super transparent. Uh, I was driving back to our offices uh, on Wednesday, and uh, I I don't have much of an addictive personality. Sugar is like my addiction of choice. Alcohol is not really a problem. Um, I I have a drink maybe once a month. That's just kind of honest. But in that moment, all I wanted was to go get a drink. It was just like, man, I just want to numb this. And, uh, And it's so easy to be like, hey, I deserve this. Hey, we have a bar right next to our office. It'd be super easy. Just go over there, have a drink. It's okay. Uh, but I thought about it. And I was like, no, that's not what I need. Although that sounds good. 
What I need is a big bear hug. <laughs> and uh, so I texted Josh Olson. He's one of our, our key leaders on the governing team. And uh, Josh, if you don't know, he homeschools his kids. He's home at, uh, during the day. So I was like, hey, are you home? Can I stop by? He's like, yeah. Uh, what do you need? I was like, I need a hug. <laughs> and so I showed up, and he just gave me a big hug. And we had this moment. He kind of held me for a little too long, but it was fun. It was good. Uh, and, and then we sat and talked, and it was really, really good. But what I needed was in the middle of a storm of even just grief. And it wasn't even like telling them their grandpa died was as hard as telling their dad had died. But I needed that tangible, physical, incarnational presence of the body of Christ. That I knew God was with me, but I needed that feeling of a hug of, of someone I knew who loved me. That was so important. A week ago, uh, when I heard the news about Buck, uh, that, that he was nearing the end, I, I, was kind of, I was thinking about it, and I was processing it, and some other stuff going on as well, and I was like, man, what do I need in this moment and, and I'm praying, I'm, I'm worshiping and giving it to God, but what I needed was just a friend to be there, shoulder to shoulder, because guys, that's how we connect typically. And uh, so I, I texted Ryan Holland, our chairman, governing team, and I was like, hey, this is me as your friend and your pastor asking as chairman. Uh, are you planning on cruising or something? I, I just need to go take a drive. So Ryan picked me up in his amazing car, and he's like, got some time? I was like, yeah. So took about a two-hour drive, and we talked a little bit, and Ryan asked me some questions. That was good, but what I needed the most was just to be. I didn't need long conversations in that moment. I just needed to know the body of Christ was next to me. Just as we, as we cruise on like kind of the last beautiful day of the year and seeing God's creation, and to know I'm not alone. See, the gift of the storm is we can know and trust that God is with us, but I think that's only half the equation. See, God created us for community and each other. And there are times you need people in your life to say, hey, come pick me up. I don't need to talk too much. I just need to, I just need to cruise and, and, and sit next to you. And that was a gift. There are times when you're like, hey, I just need a giant, big bear hug from you, brown bear, you know? And, and that's what I needed from Josh. We need each other, and we get to be that gift to each other. Not only do we have to be at enough at a vulnerable place to ask, hey, this is what I need right now, because it'd be easy for Josh or Ryan to say, sorry, I can't, Right? They got life, but they said yes. But yeah, on their end, we have to be at a place where we have margin in our schedules and our lives that when someone makes the ask, and you're, you got things going on, you can't always say yes, but can you be able to say yes? Because we are the body of Christ. We get to incarnate Jesus to each other and say, hey, you are not alone in a storm to say, God's got my back. Now, whose back do you got? 
You can know God's got your back. Now, whose back you got? If you don't have those kind of friendships and relationships, and they aren't born overnight, it's taken years to develop the kind of friendship and relationship, and know I can ask Ryan, I can ask Josh, there are other people I can ask, hey, I need this. And then they, there's love and trust between us, right? Where they can show up. There are plenty of people in this church that I hope and know they can text me anytime, hey, I need you. Can you show up? And I'll be there. That takes love and trust, right? We, 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 gotta, we, we gotta be the body of Christ to each other and say, God's got my back. Whose back do you got? All right, I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna write the band up. God, thank you so, so much that even in the midst of storms and uncertainty and just all that's going on, God, we know that you are with us. So God, I pray right now that we would know that we are not alone and that in spite of uncertainty, God, that you still have the whole world in your hands. And God, I also want to just thank you for friendships like Ryan and Josh and others who are there for me. And God, I pray that you would now reveal to us uh, how we can have each other's backs, uh, how we can uh, be available to show up, to listen, to just um, sit when we need to just sit, drive, go to a movie, uh, dinner, whatever it might be, just a walk. God, I pray against the temptation and spirit of isolation that can happen so easily. But God, I pray that we would lean on you. We'd lean on each other. Uh, God, that we, we, would, uh, we would trust that you have our back. You are with us. And then God, help us to know whose back we need to have, who we need to reach out to, and just to be that friend, to, to be that relationship, to be that strength to someone who's struggling, who's in a storm. God, help us to reach out in prayer for those around us who are struggling, uh, who need you to show up in a big way. God, give us eyes to see the world as you see it now. We thank you for your word. Uh, we're thankful for your faithfulness and just all the new beginnings that you are stirring up. In your name we pray, amen. I want you to stand and we're gonna go out of here singing um, this song, just Christ is enough. And I truly hope you know that Christ is enough, whatever it is you're facing. And his spirit, his presence will be with you and that we are the body of Christ. And then we get to be there for each other. And so uh, may you know that God is with you, that God's got your back. And, and may you know that there are people in this room that love you and who want to support you. Uh, let's go out of here singing to our God. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.